Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Uh, for those of you that are with us for the first time, uh, welcome. You're, you're actually joining us at an exciting time in our, in our young church. Uh, King's Cross is a new church plant. Uh, we're, we're brand new at this. Uh, we've been, uh, like a couple years ago, we, we started meeting and praying uh, in, 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 in our home about uh, planting a church. Uh, basically, planting is like starting a new church community. We started that a, a couple years ago asking questions like, what would it look like uh, to start a new church community? We're searching the scriptures, asking what would it look like to be a faithful, gospel-centered church community in uh, the South, like Saddleback Valley, South Orange County area, a community that provides a safe space for people who, who maybe even for the first time might be exploring what it means to follow Jesus. And so at Easter of this year, we, we did sort of what we called a soft launch, uh, which means that we transitioned out of our home uh, into the back room of a church. There was about 20 of us, uh, and we started meeting weekly uh, at, at Easter of this year, and throughout the summer and into the fall, by the grace and goodness of God, He has sovereignly been, been drawing people to our church community. And we've outgrown that little room that we were meeting in, and, and now He's provided a new place for us here at our summer intermediate uh, for us to worship on, on Sundays. And so now what's happening is we're just kind of getting settled here for a few weeks. We're getting ready for what we're calling our public launch, which will be on December 3rd, just in a couple of weeks here. Uh, and we praise God for what he's been doing. We're, we're grateful just for the gift of this space and the generosity both of the church that we came from and of the school district, and uh, it's great to partner, partner with them in that. Um, but to, to prepare us for, for this kind of turn in the road that we're taking, to prepare us for this new season, to prepare us for our public launch, what we've been doing is been, we've been taking a few weeks just these last few weeks, to sort of recalibrate and unpack our mission as a church. To revisit some questions like, like, what are we doing? What are we doing? What is this church thing all about? What is our purpose? What's our aim? What's sort of that, that true north that will, that will guide us? I shared a little bit of this story before, but uh, weeks ago, uh, my wife Alyssa, she sent me on this, on this singular mission to the store, right? And when I got to the store... I, I forgot why I was there, right? I forgot what I was supposed to get because I, I, I didn't write it down. And so um, I grabbed a few things while I was at the store that, that I thought that we needed, right? Uh, some, some goodies for us. And I come home. I'm all proud of myself. I've got like a bottle of wine in one hand, some kettle popcorn in the other hand. And, uh, and I walk into like our dark kitchen and I realize, oh, dang, I was supposed to get a light bulb. <laughs> I was supposed to get a light bulb. I had one job. I should have wrote that down, right? 
Uh, and see, my, my failure, we talked before, like my failure in that moment paints a really helpful picture for us. It paints a really helpful picture for, for us, so uh, you're welcome for that. But, it's the, but the picture is that it's easy for us to get distracted from our mission if we're not rehearsing it. It's easy to get distracted from our mission if we're not remembering it, rehearsing it, ca- recalibrating ourselves. And that's, and that's what we're doing in sort of the, this series for the last few weeks. We've been revisiting our mission. And so our mission as a church is that we want to be a church community that multiplies disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of their neighbors through the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right? We took some of like our formative scriptures that have been, been forming our, our mission statement and, and the way that we are articulating it for, for our church in this season of our life is that we want to be a church community that multiplies disciples, followers of Jesus, who will now live for God's glory and also for the good of our neighbors through the good or through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to dig into Hebrews 10. We're going to dig into the passage that Kelsey read this morning, uh, Hebrews 10, which is all about Christian community. Christian community, what does it mean to be a community of disciples? What does it mean to be a community of Jesus followers? What does authentic biblical community look like? What does it mean to be a church community? And so we're going to look at three things in this passage. First, we're going to look at why we gather in community. Why do churches gather in community? Why do we as a church gather in community? Secondly, what is Christian community shaped like? What does it look like? And lastly, how is Christian community even possible? Like, What is it that fuels it? And so let's look at the first one. Why we gather in community? Why are we gathering community? What is the big why of Christian community? And the big why for Christian community is because really there is no Christianity without community. There's no authentic Christianity. There's no real Christianity without community. Read our passage with me again. Listen, I'm going to highlight some words. Beginning in verse 19 of Hebrews 10, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now again, the question is, the big why of Christian community, why do we gather in community? It's because there's no Christianity without or apart from community. Did you notice when we read that passage that like, you actually see that point? You see the point about Christian community all throughout the scripture that we just read. This whole passage is just dripping. It's saturated. It's dripping with language about community, about friendship, about relationship. Right? The author starts off by addressing them, brothers. He calls them brothers. 
So this letter he's writing isn't some didactic lecture. This is a letter from family to family. He calls them brothers. And then again and again in these verses, he addresses them and he says, let us. It's a collective, right? Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider. It's not let me. It's not let you. Not let my friend who really needs to hear this sermon, right? It's, it's let us. Eugene Peterson, pastor theologian, he, he highlights this when he says, one of the immediate changes that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, makes is grammatical. It becomes we instead of I, our instead of my, us instead of me. You see, there are these pollsters who, who go around asking like, asking, like each year they ask Americans about their faith, and, and a huge number of people respond to these surveys, and they say, oh, like, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Right? That's what they say, like, oh, yeah, like, I'm, I consider myself a spiritual person, but I'm not really religious. But if you actually stop and sort of dig down into those words, what you'll find is what people really mean is, yeah, I'm interested in Jesus, but I'm not interested in the church. And that's really what they're saying. I'm interested in Jesus, but I'm not, I'm not interested in like the church, right? Because for some reason, they've grown disenchanted with the idea of church, with what church is and what it stands for. For some reason, they've grown skeptical of church. But as we walk through the verses in this passage, what we'll see is we'll actually see this beautiful vision that Jesus has for his church. We don't live it out perfectly, but what Jesus calls us to, his vision that he has for us, is a beautiful vision. You see, when you actually strip that word church down, when you strip it down to its like most, most basic definition, church is not, a, it's not a place that you go to. It's not a brand. It's not an organization. When you strip it down to like basic level, then the church is a people. It's a people, a people that belong to one another. It's a blood-bought people. In Titus 2, it says, Salvation appeared, it came to us in our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. He says, look, Jesus' whole salvation thing, right? Like, Jesus saves, right? We've all heard that. Jesus saves. This redemption that he gives is to purify himself, a people, for his own possession. Not persons, but a people. You see, here's what you can't miss this morning. You can't miss that Jesus' vision for salvation is that he doesn't just want to save us as individuals. He saves us as a people. Singular, word, singular form, but, but plural. A people. He doesn't just save us to, be recon- to a reconciled relationship with God. He saves us and he reconciles us to, to each other. He adopts us into his family, which is why the writer addresses them as brothers, sisters. 
You see, that's why the writer of Hebrews right here, like after he unpacked the fact that Jesus saves us, after he talked about how Jesus' perfect life, his brutal death, and his victorious resurrection, and after he made it so that, after Jesus made it so that we can, we can now draw near, right? Like after the author of Hebrews writes about that, right after unpacking salvation, he then turns in this passage and he says, now therefore, in light of that, let us hold fast to hope. In light of salvation, therefore, let us stir each other to love and good deeds. In light of that salvation, therefore, let us continue to meet together. In other words, one of the primary ways that we actually sort of draw near to God, which is what he's talking about, one of the primary ways that we actually draw near to God is actually through community. We draw near to God through Christian community, right? One of the primary ways that God grows us in the grace of the gospel is through the community of the gospel. One of the primary ways he grows us in the grace of the gospel is through the community of the gospel. And so when you put it that way, then you see that, look, it's more than, it's, 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 not, it's not that you have to be in Christian community, it's that you get to be. It's a joy, right? So that's the big why of Christian community. Secondly, let's look at what Christian community is shaped like. What does it look like? What is it shaped like? And so we've established a big why of Christian community, but now what does it look like? Four things. The first thing it is shaped like, it looks like, is hopefulness. Christian community is shaped by hopefulness. Read verse 23 with me. He says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. So what is the confession of hope that he speaks of? When he says the confession of our hope, what he's referring to is everything that he's been saying in the book of Hebrews up to this point. Everything he's been saying, all the ink that he spilled in the previous nine chapters, that's what he refers to as the confession of our hope. So we're going to go over those first Nine shot. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Um, <laughs> let, 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 me summarize, let me summarize the book of Hebrews for you guys. All right? Let me summarize the book of Hebrews up to this point. The Cliff Notes version of the book of Hebrews in one sentence is that Jesus not only satisfies every requirement in the Old Covenant, he actually surpasses them. Jesus not only satisfies every requirement in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, he actually surpasses them. He fulfills every promise in the Old Testament and then some. You see, the book of Hebrews, it shows us that all of the kings, all of the priests, all of the prophets that were written about in the Old Testament, they aren't just these random people with these random arbitrary roles. These are types. All these guys were types that point forward to Jesus who actually fulfills them all. Are you tracking? So all the kings, priests, and prophets of the Old Testament, they're not just random people that like made it into the book. They're types that point forward to Jesus who fulfills them all. So Jesus is a greater king than David. He's a greater priest than Melchizedek. He's a greater prophet than Moses. See, all those guys were just pawns that point to the one who is truer and better than all of them put together, and that's Jesus. That's the point of the Old Testament. 
Think of like a little bobblehead shack, right? A little bobblehead Shaquille O'Neal just sitting right here, right? It's a, if you imagine it in your head, well, it would look like this sort of distorted mini caricature that doesn't even compare to the real beast that Shaq is, right? See, Jesus is a beast of a prophet, a beast of a priest, a beast of a king. His death on the cross was so powerful in destroying the effects of sin, the effects of evil and death, that no other sacrifice would ever have to be made, like in the Old Testament. That's good news, right? That's the point. That is good news for us. Now, you might believe that now at an intellectual level. And maybe you grew up going to church, learning about that in Sunday school. You might believe that at an intellectual level, but I mean... Let's have some real talk, right? Like, sometimes it can be hard to hold fast to that during hard times, right? It can be hard to hold fast to that during hard and trying times. You might believe all this Christian hope in your head, but you might struggle with actually feeling it in your heart because it's actually when we experience trials, suffering, struggles in life, that we begin to question what we know is true. Like, is God really for me? Is he really good? Is he real? Is Jesus really enough? Is the Lord really sovereign and in control over my really bad situation? My one-year-old son, Haddon, I like to play this, this, this game with him. It's not much of a game. It's kind of me messing with him. But it's like when, when I'm carrying him on, on my side, um, he's, he's, he's one years old, so, you know, he's trying to picture him. He's little. Um, I like to lean over, right? So he leans back, and he freaks out, and he just clings onto me, right? Like this, this white-knuckle grip, he grabs onto me. Like I love playing that game with him, and he just grabs on really tight, squeezes really hard with his little muscles. You see... When things are falling apart, you look for something to hold on to. You look for something to cling to. And this scripture, this passage is screaming to us. When you're in that place, hold on to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on to our shared hope. You see, when you actually read the oversweeping narrative of Scripture, you actually begin to notice that every single time God's people are experiencing like hard times, every time you see God's people in the narrative of Scripture experiencing hard times, He doesn't tell them, hey, look, here's some new thing you need to get through this, right? Here's some new trick I didn't teach you before to help you get through this. No, what He does again and again and again and again is He tells them, stand firm. Hold fast. Be faithful. Stand on the foundation that you already know. Stand on the foundation of the good news that you know. Rehearse the grace that we know. Remember the strength of our God. Stand on the rock of ages. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And when everything seems like it's falling apart, hold fast to the confession of our hope. I love these verses in 2 Corinthians that I was reading late last night. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. 
It says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. See, I really love that. I love the honesty here. Like he, he acknowledges that, yes, life is hard. It stinks sometimes. Life is difficult. It's sad. It can be hard. But Jesus broke into the fabric of history so that suffering and pain would never get the last word. It'll never get the last word. Look at how Hebrews 10.23 ends. Here's how we can hold fast to hope. He says, For he who promised is faithful. You see, our faithfulness to God is backed by his faithfulness to us. Our faithfulness to God is backed by his faithfulness to us. We love him because he loved us first. We can be faithful to him because he was faithful to us first. So that's the first thing that Christian community is shaped by, is hopefulness. The second thing it's shaped by is helpfulness. A helpfulness towards holiness. Look at verse 24 with me. He says, Let us consider now how to stir up one another to love and to good works. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And so, if we want to grow in the grace of the gospel, if we want to grow in holiness, then, then what this says is that we need each other. We need each other. Like Christian, Christianity is not a lone ranger faith. We need each other. If you're going to be all that God would have you to be, then you need the brothers and sisters that are next to you. And look, if I'm going to be all that God would have me to be, then like, I need you guys. I need brothers and sisters next to me. And where we cease to understand that, then we actually handicap our sense of authentic community. We need each other to serve each other, to, to help each other, even sometimes to correct each other, right? Sometimes we need to correct each other for God's good, or for our, our good, our mutual good, and for God's glory. See, this is something that we should fight for, something that we should care about for the purity of our church, for the testimony of Christ, and our love for each other and those, and those who we belong to. You see, there's, here's the less fun side of that. Like, that not only means that you get to fight for the holiness of others, but you let others fight that for your own holiness. You're like, oh. <laughs> right? You don't just sharpen others. You actually let them sharpen you. That means you need community with people who are for you, who love you, who honor you, who cherish you, but they aren't unwilling to have hard conversations with you. Especially when you need to be called out. You see, people, you need people who appreciate the strengths and the gifts that you bring to the world, but that are also honest about your weaknesses and will actually help you grow through them. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. I mean, it's like vivid imagery, right? Iron clashing with iron. Sparks flying, right? It's, it's, not, a, it's not a 
it's not a soft picture that we get, iron sharpening iron, but he says that's, that's how one person should sharpen another. Sometimes you have, to be unwilling, you have to be willing to have hard conversation. There's this classic illustration on this in the ancient epic, the, the Odyssey. You guys remember reading the Odyssey in high school? Um, I skipped that class, but I read up on it later. Um, so in the, in the Odyssey, there's this Greek hero, Odysseus. He's on this singular mission to get home to his wife and to his kid. And like, no one knows that he's alive. He's this Greek hero. He went off to battle. And when Troy fell, like the city of Troy fell, um, he, he heads back home. No one knows that he's alive. And he's been gone for 10 years. And so he's on this 10-year journey home. And at one point, he's on, he's on this boat. And he's the captain of the boat. He's got other guys with him. And he knows that they're going to go by this, this island of what they called sirens, right? The island of sirens. And the sirens are what they called these women who would sit on the rocks and they would sing like these enchanted, cursed songs to all the sailors coming on by. And these guys would just go like mad with love, right? They'd be cursed by this song. And they, 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 these dudes would like steer away from, they would actually steer towards the sirens because they were so enchanted, and then they'd actually end up hitting the rocks, and they'd get shipwrecked and be alone and just like die, right? Some of your dudes are like, I think I dated a girl like that in college, right? <laughs> See, Odysseus, he knows, in that moment, he knows that's about to happen. That he's about to, to go past that, that island, and so he has his crew, his crew of sailors, he has them tie himself to, to a mast, tie himself to a mast, and he puts plugs in all their ears, and he says, look, here's how you can have my back right now, right? We're going to be tempted to go to the rocks because of these sirens, but here's how we can have each other's back. Here's how you can have my back. Like, he's like, I'm going to go crazy over these sirens. I'm going to say bad things. I might scream and call you guys names, but just ignore me. Just keep rowing until I finally come to my, to my senses. Do what I need you to do. Don't do what I want you to do what I ask you to do, right? Like, man, that's a great picture of what it means to let people fight for our holiness, for our character. We need to give people permission to do that for us. We all have blind spots, right? You want to know what mine are? Couldn't tell you. They're blind spots, right? That's why it's called a blind spot. That's why I surround myself with men who, along with my wife, who love me, appreciate me, encourage me in my gifts and, 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 and all that, but, but they're also like not too impressed by me, that they're not unwilling to have hard conversations. They had the freedom to call me out on my stuff. You see, culture today actually tells us the, the opposite. Culture today tells us the opposite. It's almost like hyper-individualistic. They tell us, you know, you don't need other people. You just do you, right? You just do you. Self-determined you. Be your best you now. You can have all that, but you can have like that kind of individualism if you want. You can have that kind of individualism and extreme autonomy, or you can have authentic loving community. But you can't have both. You can't have both. You got to be willing to get in the dirt with each other? Are you willing to let others press into you? Are they willing to let you? 
Are you stirring one another towards love and good works? So Christian community is shaped by hopefulness, by helpfulness, and thirdly, by a habit of gathering together. A habit of gathering together. Look at verse 25 with me. He says, don't neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. In other words, commit to gathering together. Now, this primarily, it involves all Christian community, but this primarily revolves as talking to Christians about the Sunday gathering. You ever wonder why churches gather on Sunday? The reason we do that is because the reasons that like, like churches have been doing this for the last 2,000 plus years is because Sunday is the day that Jesus rose. It's the day that Jesus rose. And so we gather on Sundays to retell the story of the gospel, to recenter our hearts on the God of the gospel. You see, that word, meeting together, it's this, this Greek word, episionagoge, where we get the word synagogue from, and it literally means congregation. Congregation. You see, that's how we know that this verse is talking about the Sunday God the gathering and not just you know, don't neglect hanging out with your homies. Don't neglect hanging out with your small group or your mom group. I mean, by all means, hang out with your homies. There's nothing wrong with that. But what he's talking about here is a congregational gathering. He says, don't neglect that. He says, don't neglect gathering as a congregation. You see, we're, we're all familiar with the word segregation, right? Segregation means to keep separate from each other. But a congregation is like a joining together. It's a type of joining together that's like a, a cluster of grapes or like vines on a branch where each part is actually organically connected and related to each other. And so practically what that means is that, you know, you don't just come to a Sunday gathering to hear like some chump speaker like myself or to have some individual emotional experience, if that's what you come for, for some type of experience, like you're doing it wrong, you actually come to be with God's people. You come to be with God's people. Now, I'm speaking to Christians here. I understand there might be some in this room who don't know Jesus or love him or follow him, and like, that's, that's okay. Like, we're glad that you're here, and you're, you're welcome. We want to create a safe space for people to explore and, and ask hard questions. Come with your doubts. Come with your skepticism. Like, we, we, we want to hear that because we'd love to walk alongside you just in humility and, and, and show you what, what we, we believe, what the scriptures teach on a variety of topics. I'm speaking to believers here. For, for Christians, the reason that we come to Sunday gathering is to be with one another, is to be with God's people. So that means that when we, when we pray together, when we stand together, when we sing with one voice together, even if the guy next to you is off-key, like, that should make you look around and, 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 and it should do something that, that makes you say, Man, I'm not alone in this. I'm part of a, a collective people that believe this, that profess this. I'm part of a church, a local church, but I'm also part of the church throughout the ages. Centuries of Christians that have been worshiping on Sundays just like this. We should be reminded and encouraged when, we're gathered, when we gather that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. That's what Christian community should remind us of. 
that we are part of something historic, something timeless, something bigger than ourselves, something that transcends our individual self. And because everything we do on Sunday is meant to be done in community, you don't just come in Sundays for yourself, you actually come for each other. So it's not just a matter of, hey, I should go, like maybe I'm, I'll need, I'll need to, I'll, maybe I'll, there's a message that I'll need to hear. And I'm not saying that, like, don't, don't come if that's what you're thinking. Like, that's a, that's a fair, valid, and good reason to come. But one of the primary reasons that you gather together on Sunday, the Lord's Day, is to be with the Christian community, to sing together in one voice, to love one another, to learn together, to bear one another's burdens, to celebrate together, and to weep together. You see, church isn't just some place that you go to. It's a community. It's a family that you belong to. But it's also not just Sundays that's speaking of. It's primarily talking about Sundays, about the congregation, but, but we actually get filled up together on Sundays, but then that spills out into the week, and we have fellowship with one another outside of Sunday gathering too. Uh, we've had these... That's why we, we've had these community groups, like this community group, like over the last like couple months, we've been meeting in our home like every other week with a, with a group of about 20, 30 people um, going through this book together, praying together, talking, like searching the scriptures together. Um, but in, in February um, of 2018, we're, we're going to um, kind of revisit what that looks like. And we're going to have, you know, our Sunday gathering on Sundays. Then we're going to have what we call home gatherings during the week. And it's just this idea that the gathering that starts on Sunday is that it continues on in homes and in workplaces like throughout the week. Where we do mutual ministry to serve one another in the day-to-day every stuff, everyday stuff of life. And so Christian community we've seen is, is shaped by hopefulness, by helpfulness, by a habit of gathering, and lastly, by encouragement. I ran out of H's. Tried really hard, couldn't think of one. I was up all night. Number four, encouragement. It's shaped by encouragement. Read verse 25 with me. He says, Don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, encouraging one another. You see, stir each other up towards love and good deeds, what we talked about earlier, that's about sharpening our character. But encouraging one another in this verse is about lifting each other up. You see, people tend to be all about one or the other, right? Like, some people are all about confronting sin, right? Like, some people, that's all that they're about is confronting sin. Some churches are like that, too. But some people are all about supporting everyone no matter what they're doing. But we need both. We need to be both sharpened in our character and also lifted in our spirits. You see, truth without love, is harsh and would just like seek to win an argument at the expense of like a person's dignity. But love without truth is like blind infatuation where reality is just like altogether just, just ignored. You see, we can't divorce the one from the other. We need both. And it actually takes courage to stop, to consider and to listen thoughtfully and lovingly while at the same time standing firm on the truth and beauty of God's Word. That takes courage. 
So we've looked at the why of Christian community, and we've looked at what Christian community is shaped like. We'll close by looking at how Christian community is possible. How Christian community is possible? And the answer is because it's secured by the grace of Jesus. Read verse 19 through 22 with me. Again, we read this earlier. But 19 through 22 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And we'll stop there. I know there's a lot of Old Testament language here, right? Like holy places, curtains, veils, priests. And a lot of people find that that stuff can get boring. But it's so important. It's so important. And this, he's basically saying, look, Jesus' body, his earthly body, when he came to walk this earth, to be born in a manger, to grow up and walk the earth that you and I walk on right now, when he took on human flesh, Jesus' body is the proverbial curtain that was torn so that undeserving sinners like you and me could be reconciled, reunited, restored to a right relationship with God. That's what he's getting at. You see, and that is what makes community of Je- the community of Jesus possible. That is what makes Christian community possible. You see, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, worshipers of God, they couldn't draw near to Him in like a real and profound way. You had this temple in Jerusalem that had like layers to it, like an onion, right? And the innermost part of those layers is where the presence of God was the most strong. That's where the presence of God was most intense. And only a person that was appointed the high priest could go in there, and he'd go in there once a year to make a sacrifice for the people. And so the average person couldn't get in, only the high priest. And so there was this veil, this curtain around that, that inner area that symbolized how, how we're separated from God. And because he is pure and we are stained. And the purpose of the high priest was to show us that we needed a mediator, someone to stand in our place to represent us, to go into the presence of God. And the purpose of the sacrifice was to know that, like, look, before a holy God, blood needed to be spilt. There needed to be a sacrifice to atone for sin. There's no way for the average person to get in until, until Jesus You see, the average person couldn't get in until Jesus. The average person couldn't experience the presence, the intense presence of God in like a real and profound way until Jesus. He was the ultimate high priest, the ultimate sacrifice. That's why we call him the Lamb of God. That's why we call him the Prince of Peace. When Jesus died on the cross, that temple was destroyed. History tells us that the veil was magically torn. That shows that the presence of God is now unleashed. It's not held to a tiny geography. It's now unleashed. And man, we need that more than anything, right? We need the presence of God unleashed in our lives. 
We need it unleashed. We need to see it. We need to experience it. His presence, it meets you. It transforms you. It melts you. And we need that for Christian community because it changes us. It even changes our relationships. Because look, when you are reunited with God, when you're living in His presence, when you're loved and accepted in Jesus Christ, washed by His blood, then you are truly free to actually give yourself fully to others. His nature, His holiness, His love, it melts you and it liberates you from being selfish. And it liberates you from being insecure. You see, most of us use community to make ourselves feel validated, right? Let's be honest. When we're looking for friends, right, or who we hang out with at the big family gathering, right, the community that we choose is for whatever makes us feel validated, whatever, whoever will make us feel good about ourselves. Or actually, on the other hand, we'll, we might avoid community because that makes us feel safe and unexposed. But even then, you're still serving yourself. But when you're loved, when you're accepted in Jesus, when you have a perfect relationship with the God of heaven, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when you have a perfect, unadulterated relationship with the God of the universe, then and only then can you truly give yourself to others because you've been made full. You don't have to turn to others to feel validated because you're loved and accepted in Christ. You don't have to avoid others to be to 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 have fear of being exposed because you've been fully exposed and yet accepted in the gospel of Jesus. You see, then and only then can you really give yourself to others. Jesus suffered alone. He suffered alone for our sins so that God would never leave you or forsake you. He suffered alone for our sins so that God would never leave you or forsake you. And look, if you, if you don't have faith in Jesus, if, you're not, if you don't believe in him, if you don't have faith in him, know that all you need is faith alone. Through faith alone, you can have community with can have the type of community with him that we've been talking about. For those of us that already have faith in Jesus, know that because you have community with him already, you're free to have real, authentic community with others. And what Jesus has done for us in the gospel will change your relationships because the gospel changes everything. It changes everything. By the grace of God, it will change our church community as we continue to grow and make disciples and multiply and plant more churches. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. 
Thanks again for listening.